Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. This morning's scripture will come from 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 38. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain perhaps, wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Please be seated. Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 16. We're going to start our sermon in just a moment in verse 19. Luke chapter 16 verse 19. This is the discussion of the rich man and Lazarus. Before we start, I just want to say something about pizza with the elders, which I happen to really like. I don't know if I'm going to be invited or not. I don't know if, but... Uh, I have a lot of friends in the youth group. There's somebody might ask me to come, but the, um, a few weeks ago in the elders' meeting, there was a discussion about how much the elders appreciate our teenagers. And one in the room said, you know what we should do? We should, we should have them to dinner. Why don't, we, why don't we have pizza with the elders? And so that's how that happened. And I, I think that's a terrific idea. I like it very much. So you're not in trouble. I think most people in this room are familiar with the discussion that Jesus gave of the rich man and Lazarus. And probably a lot of you are very familiar with the rich man and Lazarus. Through the years, when I've heard sermons about this, it is very common, in fact, almost uh, without exception, that the preacher will start out by talking about how that he does not believe this is a parable. Now, there's a reason for that. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to talk about in a few minutes why I do not believe this is a parable. And the reason is because the Jehovah's Witnesses and others of like mind theologically believe that if somebody dies away from Christ, if somebody dies in an unrighteous condition, that there is no eternal punishment. There is merely annihilation. That when they are dead and buried, that's all there is in the altogether. There will never be any more of them, spirit or body, except a memory. That's it. And when, when they say that, of course, I know what happens. You, you have these passages that come to mind, and you think about Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And you say, so, come on, I mean, doesn't that say it? Eternal punishment. And they would respond, oh, no, that just, that just means that the annihilation is forever. It just means that they're going to be dead, and they're going to be dead all over, and that means it's forever, and that's all that passage means. Well, then what comes to your mind is Luke chapter 16. You say, yeah, but, but, but doesn't 
Jesus teach us about a rich man who died and away from God and he lifted up his eyes in torment and you have the rich man and Lazarus. Now, how would somebody who held their position respond to that? And the answer is, you've got to discount it. You've got to find some way to get rid of that because it just talks too explicitly. It just says what it says. And so the comeback is, well, rich man and Lazarus, it's just a parable. I don't believe it's a parable. I don't believe that for a minute. It doesn't bear the marks of a parable. It's not like it starts by saying, Jesus spake a parable unto them, saying... And furthermore, you have the fact that it's, it's containing people that are named. And so let's, let's begin reading, and then we'll talk some more about that. I want to start in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. So you, you naming, why would you, why would you name people in a parable? I mean, so you have in Matthew 25, you have the 10 virgins, five wise, five foolish, and you have that, that dis- discussion developed and no names. Why would you name them? It doesn't, that would be irrelevant. Distracting, distracting even. It doesn't name them. When you get to Luke chapter 8 and you have a, a, a sower went forth to sow his seed and some of the seed fell on the wayside and some on the rocky ground, some on the thorny ground, some on the good ground. No name for him. No name for the, for the farmer who is discussed there. Why? Because it's a parable. There's no need to give names. Here's their, here there are names. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Was Abraham a real man? Oh, oh yeah, of course he was. One of the greatest patriarchs of the Old Testament was Abraham. And the Bible says here that he was gathered to the place where Abraham was. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom and cried and said, Father Abraham, wait a minute, he, he knows who Abraham is. He recognized him. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that it may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. It's immovable. It's not changeable. It's fixed that way. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those who want to come from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Wait a minute. Moses was a real man, wasn't he? The prophets were all real men. Let them hear them. That is to say, while those men were dead already, you have the Old Testament, Moses and the the law of Moses and the prophets, and let them read the Bible. That's what it says. God's communicated through Moses and the prophets, and let your brothers read from them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Excuse me, that's not, that's not right. Abraham said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. 
So Jesus said, there was a beggar named Lazarus. Do you mean to tell me that there wasn't a beggar named Lazarus? Jesus said that Abraham talked to, to this rich man, and the rich man recognized him and talked to him. Do you mean to say that that didn't happen? Really? And that the, the rich man in torment recognized Lazarus. Did that happen or did it not happen? Jesus said it happened. And that Abraham referenced Moses and the prophets to that rich man. Let them read from Moses and the prophets about his, in reference to his brothers back home. Did that happen? Jesus said it did. I would argue that this does not bear the marks of a parable and that the arguments that, that try to make it a parable are just because these people don't appreciate the reality of heaven and hell according to the scriptures. And for that reason, they've got to find some reason. But I declare to you that this was taught by Jesus Christ and done in a very explicit way. Now, I want to add one more thing, and you probably know what it is. Even if it was a parable, it tells the truth. Even if it was, if I, if I came to you this morning and I said a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching in Texas and I met a man that most of you know, a gospel preacher named, and I named him. And here's what he said to me, and I use that to illustrate a point of scripture. The fact that it was an illustration, and that's what a parable is, it's an illustration. Would the fact that it's an illustration imply that it wasn't true or that it wasn't necessarily true? Excuse me, but I just stood up and said that this brother said this. Well, did he say it? Just because it's an illustration doesn't mean that it's not true or that it couldn't happen. A fable is something that couldn't happen. A parable is something that could happen. And now let's begin. I'm going to couch this sermon in this way. There are four things, according to Luke 16, 19, and following, four things that a person will know five minutes after dying, five minutes after death. And that five minutes is arbitrary, but I just selected that to make the point. Five minutes after you and I are dead, we're going to know four things according to the teaching of our Lord in Luke chapter 16. And here's number one. We're going to know that God meant what he said. I suppose we could respond to that by saying, well, doesn't everybody believe that? I doubt that. I don't think that at all. As a matter of fact, the rich man, and I don't know a lot about him. We don't have a lot of details about his life. But what I do know about him is that he lifted up his eyes in torment. The implication of which is that he had rejected the, right, the righteousness of God. He was damned not because he was rich. He was damned because he had rejected God. Didn't obey God. The presumption then is that he didn't believe God meant what he said. L listen to me. There are things today that are very plainly spoken in Scripture that people don't believe God really means. For example, when he says <clears throat> that we have to believe and be baptized in order to be sa saved... He means that. He means it. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now get the next part. He that believes not shall be damned. Is that a true statement? God mean what he says or not? I'm telling you he does. And I'm telling you that what's going to happen five minutes after death is that whether or not you've obeyed the gospel, you're going to know that God meant what he said. It's true about living a faithful Christian life. 
God meant what he said about holding to the truth, 2 John 9. Whoever transgresses and doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ, ready, has not God. I've got to live my life in submission to God through the New Testament. I'm not going to always get it right. I'm sometimes going to sin. The Bible teaches that too. But I tell you this, he meant what he said when he said that I wouldn't have God if I didn't follow that. He meant what he said about attending worship and the worship assembly. This is an interesting phraseology, and you're familiar with Hebrews 10 and 25. It says to Christians, don't forsake the assembly, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together <clears throat> as the manner of some is, or the, this is interesting, or the habit, the habit of some is. But exhorting one another, that's what we do today in our worship. We're exhorting, encouraging each other. And, and, so, and, and even more as the day approaches. What's the next verse? Verse 26 says, because if we sin willfully, so it's in this, this context of, of stopping worshiping. You ever know anybody who did that? Just gave up on worshiping. Or maybe occasionally they just forsake it. They just, they just don't choose to be part of this. Sometimes you can't come. Of course. <clears throat> Sometimes people might just choose. I just don't want to be a part of that. I just choose not to be part of that. If we sin willfully, <coughs> pardon me, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking of fiery judgment. Did he mean that? I mean, are you supposed, you suppose that's true? I'm telling you that five minutes after I die, I'm going to know that God meant what he said. <coughs> I'm all right. I just need water. So what about this one? That the church, the church is, is the one described. The church is the one described on the pages of the New Testament. The body of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4 says there's one body. But Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says that body is the church. One body. <coughs> Pardon me. Number two. Five minutes after you and I are dead, we will be conscious. And the Bible says that the rich man lifted up his eyes in torment. I think that... Phraseology is kind of interesting. He lifted up his eyes. It, it, the implication seems to be that he closed his eyes when he died, and then he lifted up his eyes. There is, <coughs> according to the discussion, there appears to be no uh, lapse of time between the losing consciousness, if you please, at death and waking up on the other side in Hades. He was fully conscious. Not only that, he could talk. There is... <coughs> I'm going to get over this. <coughs> Excuse me. He could talk and he could reason. There is no lapse of consciousness here. He knows where he is. He knows what he's saying. He's reasoning with Abraham. And, and so what you've got is complete consciousness here. And he lift up, lifts up his eyes. I, I've been around preachers a lot in my life, and I've been one for a lot of years. And I, I remember a lot of funerals. And that's just part of our work, is being in, in those services. I remember when Jerry Jenkins, and some of you remember Jerry, was conducting the graveside service for Bobby Duncan, who was a great gospel preacher. <clears throat> I loved him so much. And Jerry 
all the crowd was there at that cemetery in, in Adamsville, Alabama. And Jerry said, I want everybody to understand what we're not burying this afternoon. We're not burying his soul. We're not burying the memory of Bobby. We're not burying his influence for good. We're just burying the outer body of this man. That's all we're burying. And that's a, that's a valid point. And we, we look at that and we say, well, because some, sometimes people, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would look at his body and would say that, that he's not awake. He's in some kind of coma. And that he, you, you see the sleep, that's all there is. There is no awareness there. And our response would be, so, so what about the soul? The, the body without the spirit is dead. What happens to the soul? And Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7 says, the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And so listen to me. When you're, when you're standing beside the grave of that loved one, and you weep beside that little pile of dirt, it, you, you mustn't think that this is my loved one. I know that looking at the casket, what we do is we, we think about it, and we weep and we cry over that, because that's, 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 how, that's what we associate with our loved one. That, but that's just the shell. That's just the outward body. That's, that's not who they are. Who they are is not there anymore because their soul, that's who you are, that's who they are, has gone to be with the Lord, gone to be to the other side. And you have other occasions of this, examples of in Scripture. So in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, you have those martyrs who were martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ crying out. Now, they're dead, mind you, but not, I mean in life, in the earth, but they're alive on the other side and crying out about when he will avenge their blood. That is to say that they remember their death. <clears throat> Isn't that interesting? They remember how they died and by whom or by whose hands they died. What about Matthew chapter 17, Mount of Transfiguration? And here's Peter and James and John and the Lord. <clears throat> and there's Moses and Elijah there. Moses and Elijah, well, they died a long time, like centuries ago. Right, that's right. And yet they're here. And they're having a conversation with Jesus. Are they conscious? Of course they're conscious. <clears throat> they're conversing with the Lord. Uh, and this is wonderful. I, they were talking about the upcoming crucifixion and how he would die. What would, what would you give to be able to listen to that conversation? What would you give to be able to hear that conversation? It must have been rich. It must have been really something. But the, the point is that there was, there was conscious existence. They, they were aware and they were conscious. <clears throat> I, I read a document recently, and I didn't know this until I was preparing this lesson. I really didn't. But do you know the last sense to leave you when you die, when you're in the dying process? The last sense of the senses? Uh, maybe, maybe you already know this. Some of you obviously would, but I didn't. And is it the sense, it's not the sense of taste or of the eyesight or of the feeling. It's the hearing. It's the hearing. I don't know how they tested to figure this out, but you can read about it. it it's just universally, I think, accepted that that's pretty much what it is. That The last one is the hearing. So in that dimly lit hospital room, and the family is around that loved one, maybe, maybe he can't, he can't, move his fingers anymore, not able to do that, and perhaps the eyes can, no longer can move. Perhaps that's true. And perhaps the vocal cords no longer can be 
aroused to speak or to make some sort of identifying sound, but his hearing very well may still be going on. And I only raise that to say this, and one day perhaps it will be me or you, and we hear in the hushed tones of our family, I wonder if he's gone. Is he gone? You know, they're watching the monitors. You've done this, haven't you? I have. And you watch, and you watch every breath. What I'm saying is that if it's dried and that hearing continues on, and just a few moments after that, then death occurs. That what this is teaching is that I will have conscious existence. I will lose conscious existence. Even after people thought that I no longer had it, I will lose that. I will die, but I will immediately be aware and awake and conscious on the other side. And that's what the Bible says about this man. He was, he was conscious. Five minutes after I die, I will be conscious. I will be in conscious existence. Now here's number three. It is this. I will be able to recognize others. Now this one gets just very interesting to me. I will recognize others. And so you obviously have that in Luke chapter 16. And, and the Bible says that Abraham obviously could recognize this rich man. The rich man could recognize so so Abraham's on the place of bliss. He's in the Hadean realm and on the part that is that is like heaven, and then the rich man is in the place that's very much like hell. And and so they can they can recognize one another. The, 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 the rich man can recognize Lazarus, who he knew when he was living, but he didn't know Abraham. Abraham had been dead a long time, and, and yet he recognizes him, and Abraham knows him, and you have conscious recognition there. That's very, very interesting, especially when you consider that the rich man's never met Abraham. And furthermore, Abraham's remains, now dust, are still in his grave. What you have is then this, this whatever body that Abraham has, the rich man can, can identify him as Abraham. But that's not the only time. You got Luke 17, I mean Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration too. And hasn't it ever just stuck in your mind when you're reading through that, just this little question comes up that you have Moses and Elijah, you have Peter, James, and John, and the Lord, and Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. Peter is just shaking with um, questions and, and he's excited and he's going to say that thing about let's build three tabernacles because he's just nervous. How, how did, uh, and, and, and Peter identified Moses and Elijah. How did he know? How did he know this is Moses and Elijah? How do you know? And the answer is there's conscious recognition. There's recognition. Why is that? I don't know. I mean, what, what, what did Moses and Elijah look like? I, I, we're not told that. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 35, we have this. Uh, the question, the Corinthians asked this same question on this same subject. How are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Caleb read this passage, read a little farther uh, a few moments ago. And, and the, the thing is, so Paul talks about sowing and reaping and the seed dies and those sorts of things, but he never answers the question directly. With what body? I, I don't know, but I'm fascinated by that. And I just want you to know that it wasn't the physical body. Those, those physical bodies were still laying in the grave. They were slumbering in their grave. It wasn't the physical body, but yet it was recognizable. Now, we got people here right now who are... 14, 15, 16, 
And we got some back here that are, that are in their mid-twenties and uh, perhaps a few that are older. We've got some here that are like me, middle-aged. We have some that have crossed 80 years old and perhaps more. How will you be when you die and go to the other side? <clears throat> what will be your body? I, I, I know, I, what I know is that in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, this corruptible body is going to put on incorruption. This mortal body, what is corruption? It means subject to decay. And when your body, your physical body is buried, it's subject to decay. Not your next one. It'll be indestructible. It, it won't ever get old. It is incorruptible. It is not mortal anymore. So what is characteristic of your body here is not going to be characteristic of your body. It's going to be different. Now, what will it look like? And in what age will you appear? I, I, we ask this about babies. I, I don't know the answer to that. I just know that the Bible says he's going to give us a body as he sees fit. And I know that that body is going to be recognizable by other people. And we talk about that. We, we talk about that in reference to going to heaven. And I, I preached a sermon recently I think a whole sermon on will we recognize one another in heaven? The answer is yes. It's also true about hell. That's what you have here with the rich man. And there is recognition. That, that, um, That becomes really important when you talk about my family. I really want my family to go to heaven. I go around preaching. I guess I've been to most, more than half of the state. I haven't counted up how many states I preached in in my life. And sometimes I worried about being gone too much. I don't know. I don't know that I went. Cindy and I were homeschoolers, and so we got to take the kids with us. That was very helpful, I think. But I tell you what, I, I would hate to think that I would preach to others and I myself would be a castaway or that my children or that my grandchildren would be lost. I cannot bear that thought. I, I cannot stand that thought. And you, you've thought about it before. Perhaps you've heard a sermon where a preacher would say, wouldn't it be, how would it be to go to hell and, and, and then look and, and one of your loved ones is there? How would that be? I, I cannot answer that. I, I, I just know that in my life I want to do all I can to be right with my God. I want to be right with my God. And I want to pass that on as much as lies in me to the generations that are to follow. There is this point that I want to make. And maybe you've thought about this before. But in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, the Bible talks about entering heaven and how it's going to be in heaven. He's going to wipe all the tears from our eyes. Now you're familiar with that. But, excuse me, does that suggest that there are tears in heaven? If the answer is no, why does it need to say he's going to wipe away the tears? The point I'm making is that perhaps that has reference to this very thing about my family or other loved ones or friends or acquaintances. And when I recognize that somebody's not there in heaven where I am, that those tears would be wiped. I don't know how he would wipe away those tears. Perhaps to erase from my memory those things which would hurt me. I, I do not know. But I know this. The fourth thing that we'll know five minutes after we die is this. I will remember my life on earth. I can remember my life on earth. 
The rich man said, look, I, look, I, I have five brothers. Abraham had said, you know, you remember that in your son, remember that in your lifetime, you, you had good things. Did, did the rich man scratch his head and say, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I can't remember any of that. No, that's not, no, that's not what he said. He could remember. He could remember. And then he said, and I've got five brothers. You, you, you've got to send Lazarus back and to have him, to, if one rose from the dead, then they would believe you've got to send, them, send him back to my brothers because he remembers. He remembers his five brothers. Does he remember their faces? Of course he does. Could he remember their voices? Of course, of course, of course. Does he remember what their jobs were and how they lived their lives and et cetera, et cetera? Of course he does. And surely it's not limited just to those brothers. He remembers other people as well. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. And that's, that's important because sometimes people will, will hesitate to obey the gospel. <clears throat> I understand what you're saying. I can read the verses that, that I need to obey the gospel. And he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Or, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I know, I know, I know. I got it. I believe that. But I, I can't obey I, because... I've got loved ones. I've got parents who are deceased. I've got loved ones. And it would just show great disrespect to their memory or to, to their beliefs. How can I possibly do that? I don't want to hurt them. No, no, I, I, I won't do that. That was not the position of the rich man when he lifted up his eyes in torment. That was not his. He didn't say, I tell you what, I sure miss my bros. <laughs> I really miss them. I can't wait till they get here so that I can have some company. That's not how he thought. He, his, his thought was, you've got to do something now. You've got to send Lazarus back because I cannot stand to think that they're going to be in this awful place. You've got to go tell them. And Abraham's response was, God already told him. God already told him. Now, I would add this one parenthetical note from, from Ecclesiastes chapter 9. You and I aren't going to have consciousness or awareness of what's going on on the earth. And do you have Ecclesiastes 9? Okay. And the Bible says the dead know not anything. And sometimes people point to that and say, see, there, there's death sleep and that your soul sleeps and you're just in a total coma altogether. But if you read just a little bit more, what you see is that the dead know not anything under the sun. And the point of that is that while you're, be, you're going to be aware of your surroundings, just like the rich man and Lazarus and Abraham were aware of their surroundings, you won't be sitting up there watching what's going on on earth. You have no awareness of, of what's going on in this planet, this life here. You'll be separated from that. And so is it true? I mean, if, if there is, really is, remembering past life for those who are lost, those who are damned, would it also be true about those who are saved? And the answer is yes. What difference would it make? Why would Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? If I had no memory of what he was talking about, I don't know what that even means. I, what? I, I have, it's all erased. The answer is you will remember. The answer is you will remember. And Alan Hires is a great gospel preacher, and he's been a mentor for me 
much of my life. I, I love the man. And he still preaches a little now, and he's, uh, he's getting older. And when talking about Luke 16, he would make this point that all of us are familiar with temporary insanity. <clears throat> Sometimes a man will commit the heinous sin of murder, and, and yet the defense that's mounted in the court hearing, the criminal case, would be that he was not sane at the time of the commission of the deed. And that's mitigating. And that, that may mean that he's acquitted of that crime because he wasn't mentally capable of making a decision. He didn't realize what he was doing. And, he, and, and Brother Hires would say, now, most of us are familiar with temporary insanity. Most of us are not familiar in court with the circumstance of present insanity. And the way he described it is, now he's been, you know, he was a judge in Memphis for many decades on the bench there, but, but he would say present insanity means, and this is much more narrow, guys, but, but he would say that, that it means after the commission of the crime, I was sane at the time, but I lose my sanity after I did it and before I'm, I'm sentenced. And that that too is mitigating. That too is a defense that could be brought. Which, And I'm sure they're going to test that to make sure that that's really the case before they would raise it in court. But the point he's making is that if that indeed is true, that he won't be punished in the way. Now something's going to be done with him and for him, but that that would be a mitigating argument for the defense. If man is just enough in his courts. How about God? Is man more just than God? And the answer, of course, is no. And the point of this is that, of course, we're going to be able to remember. Of course, we'll remember how we lived our lives. And that's going to be true about people who lived their lives and ultimately were lost because they were away from God. And it's also going to be true for those of us who were faithful to God. And I, say, I see no reason to believe that we won't be able to remember the West Huntsville Church of Christ. We will. And we're going to remember that Tony led singing and, and how much we enjoyed praising God as a group together. And we're going to remember the different people here. And right now, in my mind, I've, I've been here many years, and I, I, I've uh, said goodbye to many, many faithful brothers and sisters in this church. And, and I expect to do that for eternity, only I'll get to talk to them there. We'll remember. We'll remember. We will remember. And that's the teaching of Luke chapter 16. And five minutes after death, we will, we will know these four things. Through my life, I, I remember in assemblies singing this invitation song. We have many of them that, with which we're very familiar. And one of them is almost persuaded and I think it's the third verse says, Almost persuaded, harvest is past. Almost persuaded, doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost but lost. Now listen to this old preacher. God means what he says. Got to believe it. You'll believe it now or you'll believe it later. We've got to believe that. And if you're not a Christian, you must obey the gospel. Repent of your sins and confess Jesus and 
be immersed in water just like the Bible says and for the reason it says, for the forgiveness of sins, in order to be added to the church so that you can have a new life because your sins are forgiven. They've been remitted by the blood of Jesus. You need to obey the gospel. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.